With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Weekside Podcast. I'm Connor Orr alongside my esteemed colleague, SI senior writer, Jenny Vrentis. And last year, we filmed this poolside in Miami uh, during the beautiful, balmy weather just before the Super Bowl on location. This year, we are both snowed in uh, in a blizzard uh, storm. What is it? What are we? What nor'easter? Is the name of this? It's, nor- it's a nor'easter? I think so. I'm and not sure. And what's the name of it? Or. Wasn't it like Orleans? Oh, I don't know. I, I think it's Orleans is the name of this blizzard. Okay. Um, well, that's more than I knew, Connor. Interestingly enough, um, I'm just going to throw this in there because it was a good Jeopardy clue and there's no other place for me to talk about it. When they run out of names for storms, they go to Greek letters. Did you know that? Okay. So there's too many. They go through the alphabet. There's more than 26 in a given year, and they Correct. go to... Then they go to Greek letters. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Orlina, apparently. Yes. Orlina. Very nice. It's a pretty name. Um, so we uh, we are here. Uh, it's virtual, like we, like we said, and uh, we just got through the first part of Virtual Media Day, which was weird. I mean, you guys have heard us talk about the experience before, uh, normally in some sort of uh, basketball court or something, and you're competing to ask Rob Gronkowski questions with a man dressed as a piece of cheese, and it's, it's just a wild experience, but it does sort of signify the start uh, and the hysteria and the craziness of the Super Bowl no more everything's on zoom uh and uh i don't know it just uh it continues the very virtual life we've been living here for the last 10 months yeah it was a little bit surreal honestly because you had these players in rooms by themselves in front of a backdrop tom brady took a photo of that he said it was unlike any of the other nine super bowls that he's been at um Mm. But yeah, it was like, you know, you have kind of the uh some of them it seemed like they had the virtual backdrop behind them and you know how that goes when the head is not like exactly <laughs> like the the outline of the head isn't perfect and it's kind of pixelated on on the uh on the edges there. So there was some of that going on and um you know, you raise hands on the Zoom function, so there's a lot of do we still have so and so? Do we still have so and so? Did you get called on it all today? Uh, I did not get called on, no. And also, there was a lot of multiple questions, like, spurting out all at once, Mm. you know? Like, uh, people asking three questions in a row when they get called on because they don't know when their microphone will be cut off. (laughs) By the way, that was a a dog in the hallway because it's hard to walk dogs in the storm, so... 
the barking oh, you hear. Yeah. I was wondering if there it's wasn't something dog. you were telling me. Yeah, that no. would have been breaking news. We would have had to have filmed a special episode for that, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm not hiding anything from you, Connor. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I found it very strange. Uh, uh, we'll get to uh, some of the news that Tom Brady made in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole thing is, is, is bizarre. I think it takes away, you know, what I did pay attention to was how many people would actually watch this. And it was broadcast on Twitter, so you could uh, stream uh, any uh, separate person. And I think at the height of Brady's, um, there was uh, about 1,600 people watching it on Twitter. Uh, Bruce Arians at one point, like 34. You know what I mean? So it's not like... I think the NFL has to combat the fact that this Super Bowl will kind of be immune to a lot of that, just that hype snowball that seems to run downhill every week and then crescendo at the game, which might be nice for the teams, to be honest, but everybody else that's involved in marketing and this is a product, it's it's got to be a pretty cruddy week. Yeah, I do think that's interesting, Connor. From the team perspective, it sounds like a lot of the players and coaches are kind of jazzed about this. You know, you get to be at home. If you are playing for the Buccaneers, you get to be at home all week, but the chiefs, they still get to be at home all the way till Saturday, sleep in your own bed, eat your own food, Uh, especially in a pandemic. It's kind of nice to have the comforts of home. Of course, this would only be happening during a pandemic, but point being um, that is going to be an interesting element of this week. And what you said, Connor, too, made me think of the fact, you know, with the Pro Football Writers Association, there's been a lot of conversations. Will the virtual access continue or will the normal locker room rhythm be restored? And I do think it will be restored. I mean, first of all, everyone has said all along, this is just a one-year thing with access. But also, I think the NFL needs the media, right? Uh, You know, as much as people like to criticize the media, it's a big part of getting fans information. And it's a big part of the NFL, you know, around big events is the coverage of it and everyone descending on the Super Bowl city. So I don't think we have to worry about it, things not returning to the normal flow once it's safe to do so. I hope so. I I I love talk. I, you know, I didn't love talking to people in person, and now I just I, I I love the idea of it so much that I don't think I'll ever stop. I'm just gonna, you know, next time we have a pre-show meeting in a post-COVID era, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna show up near your house one day, and uh, that sounded weird. I'm gonna call you <laughs> and ask if it's okay if we can do it in person. Uh, it's okay, if- Connor. It's okay. It's okay. I knew what you meant. It was it was well intentioned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd think for somebody who, uh, uh, you know, forms words for a living, I could come off a little less creepy. But all right, uh, let's get into uh, the show. The first news topic here uh, is a fascinating one. And the first big offseason domino has fallen, Jenny, with Matthew Stafford headed west to L.A. in exchange for the rest of the team's first round draft picks from here to eternity. Jared Goff lands in Detroit, and Goff stands are mad. McVeigh stands are emboldened by this. Uh, there are non-stand stands, like me and you, who are just trying to figure the whole thing out. So I ask you, I, I, I've actually, I've read everybody's take on the planet on this, except for, I, I, I think, I feel like you're going to have the most level-headed response to this. So wh- what do you make of the Rams basically abandoning the idea of a first-round pick for the last 10 years? So they needed to make some bold move at the quarterback position. It became increasingly clear. I think we don't know the full story behind what happened between McVay and Goff, but based on the messaging after the season, 
even leading up to the final playoff games, you know, where McVay wanted to go with Wolford and they, you know, that was because golf was coming off the thumb surgery, but it seemed like there might be a little bit more behind it. And then there's been vague comments from the team's top decision makers ever since. So it was clear that McVay wanted a fresh start. It was clear that Stafford wanted a fresh start. Now I think you have to debate, was it worth paying the price to get a quarterback that, uh, you know, after McVay and Goff's relationship didn't work out? So, you know, you, you wonder, why was it past the point of no return, Connor? That's the biggest question that I have here, and it hasn't been entirely answered. It's clear that Goff was a little bit blindsided. You know, he spoke to NFL.com over the weekend, and, you know, it seemed like the full story, we haven't heard all of it, but it seemed like Goff was a little bit, you know, felt abandoned by the organization. And certainly there were limitations with his his play, um, but at the same time, he does have talent. So... My my interest here is mostly like what what made it go wrong, Connor, and what made it worth it to pay that price where you could just say, hey, let's let's forego the draft essentially or high draft picks because maybe it's a good idea. Maybe they knew definitively they couldn't make it work with Goff anymore and they had to make a move and Stafford was a good option, so they went all in. I mean, there is something to the idea that if you know your quarterback isn't the franchise passer that you need, then you should move on sooner than later. But I also think we're kind of lacking some accountability for McVay in terms of how did it get to this point? And if you are a quarterback whisperer, why couldn't you make it work? Now, from Detroit's perspective, they're in rebuilding mode. And I actually thought Dan Campbell has been somewhat honest about that, that they're not ready to contend right now, you know? And so for them, they, they get a lot of draft picks. Maybe they can make things work with Goff. Um, you know, certainly Brad Holmes, who is the new GM in Detroit, was there when the Rams drafted Goff, so he would know him well. Um, so it's possible, Connor, that this could be a win-win. Um, but I think, you know, I just need to know a little bit more about what went wrong in LA to put them in this position where you're essentially sacrificing so much draft capital for an un, you know, I I don't know how much better, like, yes, they obviously think Stafford is an improvement over Goff, but you're sacrificing a lot for whatever that improvement may be is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I, I, the interesting stat that I saw there was, um, uh, you know, People are combining completion percentage over expectation and expected points added per snap and creating a composite statistic on that, which is not there's no perfect quarterback grading statistic. But that I would assume is probably the closest that we have to something that takes into account basically everything and grades a quarterback. Matt Stafford is two better than Jared Goff, Um, you know, and Jared Goff was like 23rd and Matt Stafford was 21st. And this was one of Goff's worst years, and this was, you know, kind of just a Matt Stafford year for Matt Stafford. You know, does it really change that much for the organization? But you're right. There must have been something going on behind the scenes that we don't know, something that either McVeigh saw, somebody said, whatever it is. Um, not to mention the spicy detail that McVeigh's uh, girlfriend and Stafford's wife happened to be in Cabo right now at the same time. And, you know, I don't know, Jenny, we need to investigate all this. I think there needs to be some uh, tropical tampering charges here filed as well. 
Yeah, I mean, that was an interesting tidbit. And also, Connor, the idea of group meals in COVID is making me mm-hmm. very panicked. So, yeah. um, you know, I saw that they had, you know, reports that they had a celebratory dinner. Um, and uh, who knows what's going on in Cabo? Maybe the idea is if it's out of the country, it's the rules are different. I mean, just like when the guy who stole Tom Brady's jersey took it outside of the country <laughs> the jurisdiction changed a little bit maybe the same goes for tampering Connor. Yes. yeah agents and gms uh th- are gonna love this when when they hear this all you need to do to subvert the nfl rules are to go do it in in st croix you know and and that's perfect you know that's a beautiful place and you can break all the rules and perfect good for you but yeah i i came down on the on the on the side of the coin here where at some point this is go this relentless spending of first round picks is only going to hurt the best asset that you have organizationally and that's McVeigh, right? The good part about having a 34-year-old head coach is that you assume that he's going to be there for a long time and if this doesn't work out immediately with Matthew Stafford, uh you're basically nuking uh the near future here. I mean, there's really not a lot of capital he's going to be able to work with if you want that high-end once in a generation player in the draft like you got with Aaron Donald, that's not an option anymore and so i think that Mm -hmm. all of that um makes it difficult to build a team beyond the current itineration of what they have now which is not immune to one or two injuries breaking them down and ruining their super bowl chances so i don't know i i'm more of a play it safe kind of person um which is why i wasn't uh you know making a lot of money off of gamestop last week but uh you know i i that's just me i don't know but i got yelled at for that online and there's a lot of apparently now people who think uh, that first round picks were never cool that are coming out of the woodwork and i don't appreciate that either well i think you're spot on connor and i think it's the same question that we'll have with watson and i know we're going to talk about watson a little bit later in the show but he's going to get traded if he gets traded, okay, but if he gets traded, he's going to get traded to a team that has given up a lot of capital to get him. So then that team has less ability to economically add talent around him. Um, so, and all of that, you know, the margins are so small in the NFL. All of that matters. And yes, first round picks don't always work out, but the idea is if you have more first round picks, 50% of them say, or generally that's about the hit rate. So, You know, if you eliminate all of your first round picks, you know, you're getting zero good players. Uh, If you have two, maybe you get one, right? Yeah. And, you know, too, I I think what I don't understand here is that the the people who are saying this is analytically the smart decision, you know, if you go back and you read the um, the paper that uh, Cade Massey and Richard Thaler did that that really started our thinking on um, the the overvaluing of certain picks and the undervaluing of certain picks is, you know, they've said all along that the most valuable picks are just having more shots at the top 100. And a first round pick can help you do that. You know, you can trade back in the first round, you can trade back again, and you can accumulate accumulate more chances at the lottery as everyone is calling it now but i think that that is just as valuable because you have you can get three or four options on a rookie contract instead of uh, a veteran who you don't know how they're going to play in their in your system so i i don't know i i'm not totally in favor of it but with the rams it, it's it's win a super bowl or this is a disaster i mean there's really is mm-hmm. no two sides of this coin right now like i feel like they have set themselves up for if they don't win the 2022 super bowl this is an unmitigated disaster right absolutely and i think there's going to be some scrutiny on mcveigh i mean he 
has been the model for head coach hiring to this point, but you can't make it work with golf. Okay, so now you get Stafford, and this is the quarterback you want, you're going all in on, and if it doesn't work with Stafford, then then what? All right, while we're talking about quarterback movement, Connor, this leads us right into our next news topic. Deshaun Watson has escalated his feud with the Texans by removing all Texans-related things from his social media bio. Gasp. Do you think the Matthew Stafford trade has any bearing on this trade's ability to get done? Do you see Watson returning to a place that cannot earn a mention on his Twitter bio? Mm. It is in the playbook of forcing your way out of places, um, which I do plan on penning at some point for the website. Oh, um, great. Excellent. Yeah. The first thing is to like cryptic posts about you playing elsewhere. That's like mm-hmm. the first thing you do. And then you activate the sleuths, right? Um, and then, um, you know, you start building the groundswell. So it's not surprising when you make the formal demand. And then when the pushback is made, then you erase all history of the franchise from your social media bio. Like that mm-hmm. seems to be the playbook more or less good for Deshaun. Sean for uh, for escalating the feud here. Don't back down. You don't want to play for the Texans. Don't do it. I think this is an interesting time period, not just for quarterback movement, but for quarterback empowerment. We talked about that a little bit last week, and he's making his stance known. He, you know, the big question was when he would f- put in for the trade request, but it, it became clear last week that that had already been done. And the Texans continue to insist that Watson is their quarterback. I believe they referred to him as the player, uh, which is not a great, um, it's not a great personalized approach, Connor. You know, if I said I'm doing my podcast with the writer or the, I'm not exactly (laughs) sure what what, what I should refer to, the co-host, the journalist, I'm not sure, Connor, Um, something along those lines. That guy over there, yeah. guy over there every every week I do a podcast with that guy over there um (laughs) but I I now I do think it's interesting and sort of gets to what we were talking about before is the price that it will pay to get Watson and obviously in the Stafford exchange Stafford Goff exchange part of it was the contract that Goff had and the Lions were essentially you know they were getting Goff and draft capital uh, in exchange for kind of taking on his contract. So um, I don't know exactly what the price will be with Watson. It's it's a little hard to, to game out. It's easy to look at the compensation that the Lions got for Stafford and say the price point for Watson will just be prohibitively high. But Watson is young. He's in his prime. There are teams that are willing to give up a lot for him. I do think some teams will say this is too much. I I can't give it up. But there's going to be a lot of teams working on creative approaches. And, uh, you know, I, I think everyone outside of a team that has Mahomes should be interested. Yeah, I was surprised when everybody immediately jumped to the conclusion that just because Stafford cost what he cost, that Deshaun would cost... 
a lot more and that it would take everybody out of the market for it. I don't think that's true at all. I think you make a good point. So much of the premium that um, LA had to pay was to get the contract off of their hands. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people are saying, well, this creates a precedent now for a premium quarterback trade. I don't think that's true at all. I mean, the precedent for a premium quarterback trade before Matt Stafford was, I don't know, one first round pick uh, for Sam Bradford, a third round pick for Alex Smith. Like these things don't follow a typical rhythm. Like there's no mm-hmm. sense to them, and so I think that Deshaun Watson is in another world as uh, than Matt Stafford. His contract is in another world than Jared Goff, and so I don't see this really affecting uh, any anything there, and certainly doesn't affect anybody's desire to want to go after him. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, someone said to me the other day, um, you know. If I had Nick Casario on the phone, I would just not let him off. I would I would do anything it took and I would do anything he asked and just beg him not to hang up and call anybody else. And I think that a lot of teams feel that way. And so, I don't know. I, I, I think he's still going. And I think that uh, – I think John McClain from the Houston Chronicle said two firsts uh, or three firsts, three seconds – uh, and two def- high-end defensive starters or something like that. I mean, that that sounds totally reasonable to me. I, I, I would pay that for Deshaun Watson, too. It is, it is a high price, um, but Watson is an exceptional player, and it's, it's crazy that things have not worked out in Houston. I mean, just how quickly things change from having that lead over the Chiefs in Kansas City to the point that yeah. they're at now. The other part of the playbook, Connor, that you're going to have to put on your list is at some point there's an agent denial. And so there was one from yes. Watson's agent today a little bit. Uh, David Mugaletta Mugul- said uh, that, you know, some information was made up uh, that he that Watson was not reporting to any offseason team activities. And so he says that a lot of information has been attributed to sources close to Watson. So an agent denial is definitely part of the playbook. And it'll be interesting to see when Watson is uh, ready to add some new team to his profile, Connor, you know? Well, do you do- the, and yeah. that's the next step is you have to uh, you have to look at which Instagram posts he's liking because now all the fans are uh, making Watson up into various jerseys, which people can do <laughs> with ease now. And I think it's creepy and I hate it, um, but people are doing a lot of that now. And so which one is he going to like? Because, you know, he's going to favorite one and then it's going to explode. Um, also, another good telltale sign. One of my favorites from uh, Jets free agency days back when uh, we had to do that sort of thing. Who do the players start following on Twitter? Do they start finding friends in new cities? Do they start uh, following local restaurants and places that they're going to uh you know uh, coffee shops or you know anything like that or you know who do their uh you know if, if they're uh, have a significant other that has a profile presence on instagram or twitter who are they following on twitter and so very interesting uh but we'll see where it go from there and you know i learned something from the texans and deshaun watson and i'm, I'm just going to nervously be checking um Jenny's Twitter profile from here to eternity to just make sure that, you know, uh, I, well, I'm not on it, but that I don't get somehow removed f- from it. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, you know, I, I, I couldn't handle, you know, um, you know co-host of, of pod, uh, you know, or, or a pod with various people or something like that. You know, I couldn't handle it. 
but got, got to have your radar up. Make sure that always. there's, you know, any hints that you might be on your way out or, or vice versa, Connor. Totally. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Why don't we move on to the next topic, Connor? What do we have? Let's do it. Uh, so, today... At Super Bowl Media Day, Tom Brady ensured his relevance headlock on the NFL by saying he thinks he could definitely play beyond age 45, uh, which he said was originally his time frame, ensuring another balmy tropical locale and free agency chase along with jobs for all of his old Patriots friends. Do we think this is real, Jenny, or is this just a fun way he's going to use to sell more immunity gummies on his personal health website? Well, I think he's just not going to shut any door until he makes some definitive decision, right? So you could ask Tom Brady at this point, can you play until you're 70? And he'd probably say, hey, let's, uh, we'll have to see when that time comes, right? I I don't think he's at a point where he's going to close a door, uh, which I think, you know, if he wins seven, then the question is going to be, would he walk away? And he seems to have asserted to this point at least that his plan is continues to be playing till he's 45 and then today he left the door open for playing beyond that however that could change at any point he could just say you know what i didn't think i was going to be done but but i am so one thing is for certain connor he will announce it on his own terms on his own platforms and until that time comes i don't think he's going to give any indication one way or the other I realize by putting this on the podcast, we're giving it oxygen by virtue of talking about it. But is there any story that you're less interested in and than what age any particular person is playing to? And I, I'm guilty of this, too. I mean, I, I wrote uh, I did a story with Russell Wilson back in September, and he said that he wanted to play um for another 10 years which at the time the math added up to or another 15 years which at the time the math added up to two more years longer than what Tom Brady said he was playing for and you know there were some discussions about that but I, I, I'm not interested in that like nobody knows what is going to happen next year the year beyond that nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted what happened this year uh, to any of us and so uh, to, to, to ask somebody to project that long into their future is just meaningless to me, right? I mean, it's like we would be better off having a neutral palm reader come in and and read Tom Brady's hands and tell us what they were seeing there. Well, that is true, Connor, and I take full responsibility. I suggested this as a potential talk <laughs> topic because it seems to be, you know, media day. This is the chatter, Tom Brady's age. It is the chatter. Is, it is know. the chatter, yeah. I mean, it is kind of, there's just so many weird benchmarks if you look at this Bucks team. For instance, Jason Pierre-Paul won a Super Bowl against Tom Brady his second year in the league. And Jason Pierre-Paul is what, like 32 or something? And now he's yeah. playing with Brady. You know, you have Leonard Fournette who lost an AFC championship game to Brady and now he's playing with him. I mean, you have all of these weird timestamps, people who have met him at various points in their career and didn't think that their his NFL path would cross with theirs because he was 
pretty old in NFL terms when they played each other, and yet here we are. So it is kind of an interesting picture to to think about how many times he intersected with so many of these people that he's now playing alongside. Yeah, he is uh, uh, like a well-dressed, um, uh, better quaffed Forrest Gump a little bit um, of NFL mm-hmm. history. But um, I, I mean, he played well this year. There's no there's no way around it. A lot of the narratives that we were worried about with Brady, he's not going to throw downfield. Well, he threw downfield more than any other quarterback in the league, I think, over the second half of the season. Um, you know, all, all these things. He's not going to be able to get the ball to Mike Evans. Mike Evans had a great season. Yeah, mm-hmm. All that stuff. I, I think he's defied all these narratives. He's going to continue to do it. I don't think it's an increasingly beautiful brand of football, but who cares? I mean, they're in the Super Bowl, uh, uh, and, and there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't be next year as well. I mean, you know, this is a good team. Their division's not getting any better, you know, and I don't know. But, yeah, good for him. If he wants to play until he's – if you had to guess, because now we're just too far down the rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. um, and he's already projecting his future. So if you had to guess what age actually Tom Brady is done playing, what do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be 45 because he's – that's the number he said the most. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it seems within reach. It would be two more seasons in addition to this one. Uh, That's the – the age he said he, he you know he wanted to do two more after that is what he told Rondé Barber when they were golfing in March or April after he signed um you know it seems likely I would say if I had a guess you know Bruce probably coaches one, one more year um and Brady plays two more but that's just a wild guess don't count that as an oracle Connor <laughs> it's yeah. not an Shel- oracle Shelby don't record that um <laughs> I, I would um I, t- I tend to agree with you. 45 then would, would be a quarter of, of Brady's life. I mean, it looks like he appears to be on track to live to 180. And so um, <laughs> that would seem to make sense that he would then want the remaining 75% of his life to um, to spend with his kids and, uh, you know, whatever space alien race ends up coming, uh, coming to Earth after that. So, yeah, good for him. Um, I would love, by the way, a Bruce Arians where he wins the Super Bowl, heel turns, hands it off to Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles as co-head coaches and pieces out. I would love that too. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. I do think, I feel the same way, Connor. I do think that's kind of in, in the future um, because he really believes in both coordinators and a big reason that he came back out of his retirement was that he could hand off a lot of the duties to Leftwich and Bowles and Mm -hmm. he's not calling plays like he was in Arizona and it's not creating so much of a, stress on him which caused health issues when he was coaching for the cardinals and so you know they're doing a lot of the running of the team anyway and so i i think you're right i think that makes a lot of sense and just to add a caveat to my earlier non-oracle oracle i mean as i said before that like at any point he could just say you know it wouldn't it also wouldn't entirely shock me if they win this one and a month later he says that's it so i don't think i would be surprised by anything at this point yeah, no, that's a good point as well. Um, all right, so we're going to, uh, uh, for those of us scoring here in the production booth, we're going to skip uh, news topic number four because it doesn't exist anymore. And what do we have for uh, news topic number five, Jenny? All right, former Patriots receiver Danny Amendola started the week off with a heat seeker, saying on first things first that Belichick had nothing to do with the Patriot way, but that it was Brady who created the now infamous mystique that powered a dynasty. Big if true, but also no way true. True? <laughs> I love the right. way you wrote this topic. 
Danny Amendola uh, had some grievances on the way out the door, which, you know, of New England, which in all these things we fail to include the proper perspective on. And to say that Belichick had n- nothing to do with the culture that was created there is absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's the best head coach in NFL history. And because he had one bad year where like 30% of his best players opted out before the start of the season, we're ready to say that this was all Tom Brady when Tom Brady goes to the one of the best teams in the NFL with the pre-baked best coaching staff and the best wide receivers and we're like oh yeah no this was definitely the guy who who fixed all the problems no way I mean I I, I am excited for uh, Bill Belichick's rebuttal to this which will no doubt be in a sort of sly and very devious way um, maybe by winning the division next year I don't know yeah I'm with you Connor I mean this is really the window if you've got a hot it was all Brady take now's the window right so the <laughs> Patriots had a down year as you said Brady goes to a team that was ready to win with the exception of the most important position on the field and it was more successful than many people on the Bucks even thought I think a lot of people thought next year would be the year for the Bucks, and they overachieved this season and so yes now is going to be the time for those takes but I I view it as an equal partnership I think Brady and Belichick were equally responsible for what took place in New England I think there were absolutely games that Brady won them um, just by virtue of not making mistakes you know of course he won games in many other ways but you know no matter how the rest of the team was playing or, or whatever, there was always this a, a handful of extra games each year that you could count on Brady winning. But the same can be true for Belichick. Smart game management, you know, knowing what to do in certain situations, not making mistakes as a coaching staff. So I actually think that the decade between their two clumps of Super Bowls were some rebuilding years for the Patriots. It just didn't show up like it does with other teams because of that extra oomph that both Brady and and Belichick gave to the team. So now they're figuring out things on their own. And Brady went to a better situation than Belichick had this year. But I agree, Connor. I think, uh, I think we're going to see Belichick come roaring back next year. Um, I think this year was kind of just a, a year that uh, wasn't, you know, things weren't lined up and the players opted out and they didn't have a ready-made transition at quarterback. So I think next year will be interesting. But you know what the narrative will be if Brady wins the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It's It was all Brady all along. And you know that will motivate Bill. It has to. I was, uh, you know, I guess you could consider me, uh, you know, is the Bill Hive like if Beyonce has the Bay Hive? Is there a is there a Bill Hive? Maybe oh, interesting. I don't know. That's where I'm buzzing right now, anyway. But um, I so do you want to hear my like fan fiction um uh like Patriots comeback story that I'm like envisioning in my head right well, now? Connor is is this is your new genre, by the way. You made your <laughs> fan fiction debut over the weekend. I loved it. You had some people who didn't understand that it was fan fiction, which is all on them and not on you. Um, so I'm excited to hear this to all of our listeners. You get a sneak peek at Connor's next work of fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, it was so good that it ended up landing in the prime content spot of 
deep Sunday night without any football on it, uh, <laughs> right when everybody's reading. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I think Jimmy Garoppolo gets jarred loose in San Francisco. And remember, that was the mm-hmm. one guy that Aaron Rodgers wanted out of the picture in New England uh, because Jimmy Garoppolo was good enough to force him out of there and to have Bill Belichick pivot to the younger quarterback. And here we go. Garoppolo back in the hive um, with his old offensive coordinator and then they come storming back um, and and take the league by storm perhaps meeting Tom Brady in that Super Bowl all right wow wow Garoppolo and Brady like come on how good would that be wow yeah Garoppolo and Belichick definitely had a special connection Belichick would text him after some of his early successes with the 49ers. So, you know. Saying, I can't wait for you to come back. Just like he does with all of his special. It's like, okay, LeGarrette Blunt, you go to Pittsburgh for six games and you just completely destroy everything there and then come back and, and we'll take good care of you. Go to, you go to San Francisco, you get them to the cusp of a Super Bowl title and then you lose and I'll promise to bring you back. And, you know, it's all planned out. Belichick's got this all planned out. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's interesting. By the way, this reminds me of something since we're speaking of forms of communication. A couple Bucks receivers today said the first way that Brady contacted them was by sliding into their DMs. Mm. I know. I guess maybe before he got their phone numbers from Jason Light or whatever, whatever channel he got the phone numbers from, he just Instagram DM'd them. And then if you're Brady, it's a good way to find out who was following you um already like oh if I, wow like I, there are a lot of really good famous sports writers that i don't follow you know be, for one reason or another and i feel like if you're in the nfl you know if you're an offensive lineman for the buccaneers like are you following tom brady before right. all this starts you know probably not yeah and then he's gonna be like oh like, like how, how, how big of a hand to the face would it be for Tom Brady to get one of those red messages from Twitter that says this person doesn't follow you, so you can't send them a direct message? <laughs> but maybe that's why Instagram, that's why is the, is the preferred uh, form of communication. Cause true. That's you can true. message whoever. But sometimes it goes to that weird other folder of people that, you know, you don't follow each other. So just another In example of Tom thinking he's above the DMs, like, you know, this is just a guy living a gilded life, a guilt-free DMing, you know, what else What else can he have that the common man can't, you know? Well, yes, but back to the Garoppolo fanfic. I like it, Connor. I'm going to count this as an oracle, a long-term oracle. So we each, have, right. an, we each have a non-oracle oracle on this show. Which leads us to the actual to the oracle. Real oracle. oracle. Gosh, we really are on our game today, Connor. It's I like feel like you know it is. Things are falling into place right in time for the Super Bowl. You know, just <laughs> hitting our peak at the right time. I was going to say it only took us twenty weeks, but we no. got it, Connor. I mean, this is you know this is how the good teams do it. You got you got to build to the finish. You're right. You're right. Um, and so we're we're going to do something very special, which is we're going to combine the Oracle and the Frentis consensus today into a Frentis or Super Bowl pick extravaganza. And uh, I I don't even know if we have the sound effects for something like that. Um, but what we're going to do here is also a little PSA. Just ignore whatever.
Denver prediction I made on the Monday show with Gary. I don't remember what I said. It was uh, late when I was recording it, and uh, I'm not that prediction. We're going to throw out the window because I'm going to make another prediction here, and then I got to make another prediction for the website, which I'm guessing is going to be different than this one. And whatever one is correct is the one that I will say uh, I actually meant to do. So that's how you do it in the business. A little peek behind the uh, little peek behind the curtain. You just make a bunch of different predictions on various mediums and then you push it to the center of the table when the one that you actually predict is correct that's right that's the smart play here connor exactly (laughs) i am not decided on my pick for the mmqb picks that will run online so whatever i say now could adjust it for that yeah i i remember uh the first time that you and i did super bowl picks together was in 2011 when the giants uh, made the super bowl against the new england patriots and uh they lost and i predicted that the patriots would win and that the chad ochocinco offense would finally emerge after remember he like sat on the bench for 13 weeks that oh, season wow. and nobody yeah. knew that he was in the game um my second favorite super bowl prediction pick story is um when i used to work for nfl network uh uh, Gil Brandt, who's like, um, uh, I'm saying this for the audience. Jenny obviously knows uh, Gil Brandt, but Gil Brandt is the kind of the godfather of the '70s Cowboys, pioneering scout, sage, uh, sage football man, and uh, he he works for NFL Network and NFL.com. Obviously, I talked to him a few times in my life. Never thought that he knew who I was, and uh, we all made Super Bowl picks together for NFL Network. And I had never met him in person. And he walks right into the media center um, before the Super Bowl. It was Panthers, Broncos, and walks right over to our table. And he just looks at me and he said, hello, Connor. Uh, the score that you picked uh, for the Super Bowl is far too high. It's, it's never going to happen. Uh, and then he said, okay, then. And he walked away. And he was right. <laughs> like he, he, His prediction was almost exactly right. So that was pretty incredible. But wow. Wow. My yeah. my best prediction. I mean, because who wants to dwell on the worst ones? I picked the Giants in Super Bowl 42. I don't remember what score I picked, but I picked the Giants. Did you really? Yes. In the newspaper edition. I don't know if nice. it went online or not, but I did pick the Giants. Yes. That's so I like that. Oh, so every then. prediction since then was just all downhill. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Uh, so I don't know what what are you what are you feeling right now on Monday right. as we're recording this five nineteen p.m. Uh, I don't know what's your gut tell you. So my initial reaction after the championship games was to go Chiefs. So I'm going to say that now, but I have to say I'm getting an increasing Bucks vibe over the last few days. And I just wonder if they might be the team that could actually pressure Patrick Mahomes and Mm -hmm. flip the result around of that week 12 game or whatever it was, which was right before the Buccaneers got their offense together. They tightened up their defense. I don't know. Now I'm really talking myself into Bucks, Connor. All right. I'm just going to stick with the Chiefs for now. And if I change my mind by tomorrow morning, you'll see it in the MMQB picks. And I will say 27 to 20, accounting for one Harrison Butker ex- missed, missed extra point. Ooh. <laughs> you know, you got to throw that in, right? Butker's like, don't put this on me, Jenny. Come on. <laughs> no, What's but going they'll, on? They'll, you know, I still have them winning by seven points. It's, so 27 to 20. I just, you know, I'm thinking about that Buccaneers pass rush against a uh, Chiefs offensive line that's missing its, missing its, you know, end blockers. 
the tackle positions. So that's what's scaring me. Yeah, it's, that's what's kind of making me feel a little bit more mm-hmm. bucks as each day goes by. Bucks are really great on the edge with Pierre Paul and Shaq Barrett, and they're both going to have a field day with that matchup. Uh, and it's so here's why I would lean Chiefs because the Buccaneers at their worst this year, when they play really bad, look awful. Right, like we remember the Saints game, uh, the couple Saints games. Mm-hmm. Some of their losses, they looked really, really bad and super, super disjointed. When the Chiefs have played their worst, they're still beating teams with regularity. Right, uh, when they were Great sleepwalking point. through games, um, when Patrick Mahomes isn't in, like they're still closing out games. Uh, that makes me lean Chiefs because I think that there's just a gear that we haven't seen from them yet because it hasn't been a necessity and do we really think that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy aren't smart enough to come up with something with Mahomes and all those weapons to negate the pass rush a little bit and to make them pay for surging upfield I, I think that that's something that needs to be taken into consideration that said um, we've been reminded throughout 2021 that the horrendousness that we experienced in 2020 is just going to keep kind of just reminding us that it existed so that we can be grateful for the present moment. And in that way, I think that the Buccaneers are going to win the Super Bowl um, with like Brady throwing for 550 yards and, um, you know, it, so, something along those lines. You know, I feel like that's going to be uh, uh, that's going to be the story of the game. You know? Yeah, you know, normally I have a gut feeling and my biggest gut feeling is often comes from being around the team or observing the team, which is not something we're going to be able to do this year. You know, Mm -hmm. even just on media night or how players are interacting at media availabilities or the last few years that I was the pool reporter, you just get a vibe around a team. And being the 49ers pool reporter last year, there was a a real tightness and a real paranoia that I sensed at the Saturday walkthrough. And um, I, I remember feeling similarly with the Falcons before the game they played against the Patriots. And so it's it's hard to pick when you're not around the team. I mean, what we're seeing basically over Zoom, you don't get a great sense for those kinds of things. So I do think it's harder to get a gut instinct. And so you're basically looking back on uh, what you've seen from each team this season, um, which isn't always instructive on what's going to happen in the final game you're totally right the two biggest vibes that i ever got for a super bowl were um in arizona i think it was how tight carolina was that year uh, against the 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 broncos and and really how like kind of emotionally unprepared they seemed to be or, or whatever it was that affected them in that moment and then the broncos seahawks that super bowl where i mean if you had been around the Seahawks for a minute, you could just tell that team was rolling that week, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I ended up actually hearing a really good story about um, uh, that team a few years later. That uh, halfway through the week, Richard Sherman and another player—I uh, forget who—were watching Broncos film, and they were just listing the plays. But it was a game that they hadn't seen, I think, and they were just listing the plays and what was going to happen before they had started because they'd figured out everything that the Broncos did. And they just shut the film off like a quarter way through and said, we don't even need to look at this. Like, we're going to destroy them. And that's what happened. And you could Mm -hmm. tell that. You could feel that from them all week. But yeah, you can't do that over Zoom. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Everybody... 
everybody puts on their best self over Zoom. You put on your best self, your best background. Um, I cleaned the office today, so Jenny probably thinks this is how my office looks all the time. Oh, it does great, it looks, Connor. It looks horrendous, you know. Looks great. But, uh, you know. Yeah, the vibe is big. I and that was part of the reason I picked the Giants in '07 because they showed up. Uh, they arrived in Arizona and they wore black suits to their first media availability. And it was a funeral for the perfect season. So you just felt that like confidence and that willingness. They weren't scared of the Patriots. They'd played them, as we all remember, really tight in that regular season finale. Or, you know, it was a close game. I mean, they weren't tight, but it was a close game. And they, they came close to winning. And that gave them confidence into that Super Bowl matchup. So, yeah, you just sometimes get a vibe. And I think it's going to be really hard to feel a vibe this year. Absolutely. Well, Jenny will be uh, our, our representative um, down there. So be sure to uh, follow her along uh, via social uh, media, Twitter, and uh, you'll report back to us uh, from a full like COVID Super Bowl rundown next week, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, looking forward to recap the Super Bowl next week with you, Connor. And uh you know, we have plenty of time to change our predictions before then. So, hey, and send us your predictions. <laughs> That's right. In a in a, in a comment uh, in the Apple. Uh, God, I'm bad at this. Um, where, wherever you find the podcast on on iTunes, go in there and leave us a Super Bowl prediction. If any of you guys nail it, um, we'll do something special. So, you know, le- leave us a rating and a prediction. And feel free to steal our approach of. Just writing a lot of different <laughs> two predictions th- two and or seeing which them. one yeah. hits. Hey, we're not going to judge. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks as, every- Thanks as always to everyone for listening to the Weekside Podcast. The show is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Moravik is the emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.